Well, good morning. Good to see all of you today. It's an honor and a privilege to stand before you and have you guys here with us today in worship. We're going to, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles with me today to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As we're going to pick up in week 2 of our eschatology series called Remain Faithful. And before, as you turn there and get there, I just want to give a shout out to you all. Thank you so much for those of you who were able to give last week in our Gideon offering and Bible distribution. Just over $450 you gave last week. We appreciate that. The Gideons appreciate that. Amen. You can give God credit. Give Him thanks for that. More Bibles being able to be printed and given out. And also, I want to draw your attention again, as you will hear a few more details about this in our announcement segment later, but the EXO Marriage Conference coming up in just a couple of weeks on May 19th and 20th. It's $85 a couple. It's dinner on Friday, that includes, as well as lunch on Saturday. And I just want to uh, push that, plug that, make an investment into one of the most sacred um, relationships of all time uh, that you can have with another person. That is your spouse, if you have, have that happening for you right now. And uh, I pray that you would be able to take that opportunity and invest in that. If, for some reason, you find that very difficult and challenging to pay $85, please see me. All right? Because our, we're partnering with another church at Poplar Heights. Uh, the two of our churches are, and there's a third church involved. We want to help make it happen. So if 85 is too steep, let me know. I wanna, we want to do what we can to help you uh, not miss that out if that's all it takes is 85 bucks, okay? Um, so let me know. But I encourage you to do what you can. You can go to our website, nlcj.org, and sign up for that on our homepage. All right? Make an investment in your marriage. Anybody married out there? I won't ask any more follow-up questions. I'll leave it at that. May all who are married continue to be blessed and blissful in your love for one another. Amen. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1 through 5. It says this, Paul writing to young Timothy, a pastor. And he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we honor you and we thank you for your sacred word, your holy word, your life-giving word. It's life. You breathed it into existence. You caused it to be preserved by your Spirit. And we have it here today. Speak to us, Lord. Encourage us, inspire us, challenge us. 
convict us. But through all of that, be alive in each one of us. For you have called us to life, an abundant life. And we pray, O Lord, today that you would help us to understand it, hear it better, more clearer, in a greater way than we've ever had before. And I ask that you would speak through me, fill my heart and my mouth, O God, with your words. That would be a help to your people and would be honorable to you. In Jesus' name, everyone can say amen. Amen. I have, I, 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 my heart is really full about this message and about this series, and so uh, I'm going to, I have to resist the temptation to chase so many different trails that, that uh, I, I could easily go down today. Um, this last week, my, young, my middle daughter asked me, Dad, what, is, what, what does it mean, the word crunch time? Anybody ever heard that? Crunch time. It's crunch time. I was like, well, um, crunch time is, uh, my answer was something like this. Crunch time is when you've got something due. Uh, there's a deadline coming up, maybe like a school project or something. And you, it's nearing that time to turn it in. And you're doing all you can to finish it up, wrap it up, do your best so you can turn that in. And with that, you feel the pressure uh, and, the, and the adrenaline uh, that's going on to try to get that particular thing done and turned in. So that's crunch time. That's crunch time. Paul was letting Timothy know it's crunch time. Timothy, he said, you should know this. In the last days, it's crunch time. Now, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. When God poured His Spirit out in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches his first sermon. Over about about 3,000 people become believers that day of Christ. But he opens up his sermon with quoting the prophet Joel about 800 years prior in Joel chapter 2. And he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And he goes on and he talks about prophesying and having dreams and having visions and how there will be certain kind of crazy weird things happening around, around the globe, on the earth, and above the earth with the sun and the moon and the stars and different things to that nature. So the last day started on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, after the resurrection of Christ. And, Pete, and Paul's writing this around A.D., mid to late 60s. So he writes this quite some time after, and he's reminding Timothy, in the last days, he's reminding them, the last days began. The last days are here. Now that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Paul reminding us, the last days are here. They've been happening. And I've heard some say, we're not just in the last days. We're in the last hour. So, but he describes, and he says, hey, the last days will be difficult. It's crunch time. The New King James describes that word difficult as perilous. The last days, they will be perilous. The Passion uses the words, they will be extremely fierce. 
The NIV says it will be terrible times. The Amplified Version, just because it's got to add some more words to it, says it will have great stress and trouble, hard to deal with, and hard to bear. That's not what we want to hear on Sunday morning at church. We look for good news all over the place. We search for it. We hope somebody will text us something good. We hope that phone call is good news. Someone shared a good email with us this morning about some good news in their life, and we were excited for them. We like getting good news, right? The Bible is good news. The Word of God overall is good news. In it is good news because God inspired it, and He is good. We don't like bad news. But Paul, in the middle of this second letter, reminds Timothy, listen, son, it's, it, it's not always going to get easier in life. Things are going to get increase, increasingly more challenging and more difficult, the perilous, the hard to deal with, the stressful, the troubled, hard to bear. All of these things are going to happen. In fact, he, in his first letter, he told him that in the last days, some will fall away from true faith. So they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. He said these last days are going to be crazy. You're going to, you're going to experience a, a roller coaster of things that's going to happen in life. And one of the questions is, why is it so important to try to have a healthy understanding and approach to end times? Why is that? Some of us may think, man, I don't really care about it. I've not really thought about it. And there's a lot of a segment of people who they're consumed by it, just completely fascinated by end time stuff. And there's a big pot of people who kind of fall in the middle. Some days you don't think about it. Other times you get freaked out about it, scared about it, feared out about it, you know, afraid. When, when, what's going to happen? Have I got, do I have enough stockpile? Do I have enough of this? Do I have, is what's going to really go on? Well, I think... One of the reasons to have a healthy outlook on this sort of thing is one is, you, is to know how something ends, to know how it all ends, it gives us hope. And it reveals and provides a roadmap for actually how to live our life. There's been a lot of generations gone before us, a lot of people who've read this same text, a lot of pastors who've preached this, a lot of people who've written a lot of books, made a lot of money, made movies off of this stuff. But here's something that nobody can ever say. When? It will happen, right? Nobody knows. But it's important to know, to have a healthy outlook about the approach of end times because it gives us hope for today and it can provide a good roadmap for our life and how we are called to live our life in our current day and time. So that question, how does it all end? How does it all end? Well, here's one thing that is consistent regardless of kind of where you might fall on the view of perspectives or beliefs about end times, this one thing is constant through it all, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ will definitely take place. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. When Luke wrote the book of Acts, in the beginning, the very cha first chapter, there was talking to some disciples, the angels said, hey, you saw how Jesus just went up? He's going to come back the same way. Acts starts out with that reminder as they're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as they're waiting for what Jesus told them to wait for, the promise. And they're reminded 
that he's going to return. So that's one thing that is definite. I want to just pick one portion of text here today. 1 Thessalonians 4. It's on our screen. You can look at it. You can write it down if you're taking notes. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 14. Paul writes, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, when the Lord returns, not if the Lord returns, but when the Lord returns, we will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Listen to this. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. With the voice of the archangel. And with the trumpet call of God. Sounds like it's going to get loud. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Anybody who's passed away before us, believer in the Lord. Then together with them, we who are still alive. You see, Paul's writing from the point of view, it could happen at any moment. It could happen tomorrow. If those of us who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I know that can sound really weird. But if your faith and belief is in the the Son of God, in Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of your soul, to be the Lord of your life, I don't care where I'm at. I don't care how it looks, because on that day, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And we're going to talk more about His second coming next week, the Lord willing. It says, then we will be with the Lord forever. Now that's just one of several texts that talk about the second coming of Christ. But that is inevitable. That will take place. Here's what we don't know is when that will happen. We just don't know exactly when that will take place. There's several views about end times, about the second coming of Christ, on kind of when it might happen. Jesus references and talks about um, the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. It's a long discourse dialogue he has with his disciples about the end times. And he gives out a lot of, he, he goes through some giving, he said there's a lot of signs that you can pay attention to. And talking about the great tribulation on when, when it may take place. And there's some three, type, three basic main views or theories on that, and that is the pre-tribulation, that that's the belief that Jesus will call up his people home before the great tribulation happens. There's a belief called the mid-tribulation, meaning the belief is that Jesus will call up his people home halfway through the great tribulation. And there's what's called the post-tribulation, that the belief is that Jesus will call up his people home after the end of that time of the great tribulation. There's the variety of views because it all has to deal with time. It all has to do with time. Now, if you're anything like me, I like to know as much as I can ahead of time about anything. 
I don't care what it is. I just want to know. Because I like to be prepared. And I like to... I could probably come up with a hundred contingencies on a road trip that drives my wife absolutely crazy. By the grace of God and by her prayers, I have come a long ways. (laughs) But I like to drive. I like to be in the driver's seat. I like to have three different ways of getting somewhere just in case. Because I'd rather be moving than be sitting still in traffic. That's just me. And I, sometimes that's a good thing. And other times I wish I could kick myself because there's no reason for it. I suck the fun right out of some things sometimes. I'm just going to tell on myself. Y'all be like, well, shoot, I'm glad I ain't going on no trip with you then. <laughs> Time. We like to know it but we just don't know when. And that's why in Matthew 24, Jesus gives a variety of signs that we can look at. Now, I'm not going to read all of these texts, but I would encourage you to go back and read Matthew 24. He, get, he, he talks about, first and foremost, no matter what, don't be deceived and don't let anybody mislead you. All right? Because there are going to be some who will come out and say, Here's the Messiah. The Messiah has come, but he's like, don't believe him. Don't believe him, because that's not true. He said, you're going you're gonna to begin to see things like wars and rumors of wars. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Internal conflicts going on within nations of themselves. These, he said, these sorts of things have to happen because they're the birthing pains that lead to something else that more will come. He said, unfortunately, he said, followers of me will be arrested, will be greatly persecuted, will be killed, will be hated by the world because you're my followers. He said, it's, it's, not, a, it's not always going to be pretty. He said, sin will be rampant everywhere. The love of many will grow cold. He said, these kinds of things you can look at. There will be earthquakes, there will be famines. There will be the intensities. Uh, These things will continue to multiply and become greater and greater and greater. He said, these are all signs that begin to show us when the last days are and how things are coming together. But then look at verse 36 in chapter 24, Matthew. Jesus says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen And he's also in the context of when the Son of Man, when Jesus will return, when he will come back. He said, no one will know, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Only the Father knows. Now, who's in control? God the Father, right? Who's not in control? Well, Satan's not, that's right, and we aren't. So what can we do? How how should we position our life? What should be some guiding post for us? What What should we be sticking to? What should we be anchoring ourselves to? Well, in the title of this entire series, teaching series is called Remain Faithful. 
We introduced it last week. One of the greatest things you and I as believers can do is to remain faithful to the truth. Remain faithful to the truth, which is God's word. Look at it with me down in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3. Paul says, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught, to the truth. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Corey Ten Boom, the author of The Hiding Place, was quoted as saying once, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. If anybody can say it, she can. Remain faithful to God's word. One big reason you and I can trust God's word and we can remain faithful to this truth. Peter says this, quoting Isaiah in 1 Peter 1, verse 24. He said, the scriptures say, people are like grass, beauty, their beauty is like a flower in the field... The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of the Lord remains forever. In fact, in that same discourse in Matthew 24, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never disappear. My word will never disappear. That is one main reason you and I, as believers, we can anchor to, hold to, rely upon, and trust. God's Word is not going anywhere. God's Word is active, it's alive, it's true. And we can trust it. And what will guide us in a more greater way than the truth that we have the opportunity to have before us each and every day. Go on, verse 15, Paul writes, he says, Look, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures, the truth from childhood. So they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. This truth leads us to salvation. Paul preached that to the Romans. In Romans 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the good news, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. The truth of God's word, we remain faithful to it because it leads us to salvation. And I would say it keeps us in our salvation. The truth. And it goes on in verse 16, Paul writes, All scripture, all truth is inspired by God. That means... Inspired by God means it is God-breathed. It is God-breathed. Now, I know we don't like to get up in people's faces all the time. Breath can either be good or bad, right? (laughs) Joke we say sometimes in our house, what's that smell? That's your breath blowing back in your face. We just like to be funny. That way, you didn't think that was funny. We think it's funny. All right? (laughs) I'm laughing at it because it's funny. Even it can be said back to me. It's funny. 
breath can be good or it can be bad. And by the way, man, we got, I, I got to find some more Brother Charles mints, by the way. I always like to keep two or three of those in my pocket. I'm looking for one. I don't have one because I want to make sure my breath ain't stanky in a little bit. But God's word, it's God-breathed, meaning his breath, his, the breath of his word is meant to get on the inside of us. When we breathe, what? We breathe in, right? We breathe in. God's word is meant to be breathed in. It's meant to get on the inside of us. It's not meant to just be some good book we, we might read or we occasionally look at or we kind of gloss over and just maybe give a glance at. God's word is intended to get on the inside of us, to get his word working in us. The writer of Hebrews says that his word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow, able to go down deep in its precision, sharp. If you want change in your life, if you want transformation in your life, the only guarantee to that is God's word. Get it working in you. Get it going in you. It's more guaranteed than anything. More than anything, God's word is sure. God's word is life and it's meant to be breathed in. And his word is inspired. It's inspired by him and it's preserved over the years by him to be able to be created and contained in mechanical scripture, the Holy Bible, meaning it's the standard. It has been deemed the standard by which we're all called to live. That's why it's true. It's inerrant, infallible. In fact, you could see all of the different cross-references of, of all of the scriptures and how the New Testament points back to the Old and the Old points to the New and how it all overlaps and interchanges and works together. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I have not been let down one time by trusting in God's Word. Now, granted, I've only been around for just about 47 years. But Hebrews tells us that there's a whole great cloud of witnesses that's gone on ahead of us that are calling out to us, that are chanting for us, that are cheering for us. I don't think they were ever disappointed either by the Lord. You and I know of some folks who have gone on ahead of us, who were pioneers, who paved the way, who prayed for us, who did the hard things, who showed us the, the true way of life, walking the path of godliness and righteousness. Oh, you might have seen some hard days, and I've seen some hard times. But listen, I have not ever once been disappointed by the Word of God. Is some of it hard to take in sometimes? Yeah. When I want the milk, and he's trying to give me the steak, I don't want that hard stuff sometimes. I like that easy stuff. It's fun. That makes me feel good. Right? But God knows exactly where we are and how we need to receive it and at what point of our life we need to decide. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, but when I grew up, I grew up and I let childish things go. That's what God's Word will do for you. 
God's word will make you change. God's word will make you mature. God's word will make you grow up. God's word will change the way you think. God's word will change the way you believe. God's word will change the way you see. God's word will change the way you act. God's word will change the way you be. Come on, can I say it that way, somebody? God's word will do so much more when we just get his word going going to work on the inside of us. And that's kind of a good summary, I guess it is, of what Paul goes on to talk about in the last part of verse 16 and 17, he says, when you get the word of God on the inside of you, when you get it working for you, then it teaches you what is true. In verse 16 and 17, it says, it teaches you what is true. In other words, I don't get to decide what is true. His truth tells me and teaches me what is true. Amen? We don't get to decide and wake up, well, I think this is true today. No, we have to always go to the source of truth and weigh it out based on what his truth has already been said. His truth teaches us what is true. It says this truth, it opens our eyes to what is wrong. It opens our eyes to what is wrong. His, this truth, it corrects us. It trains us. It disciplines us. It molds us. His truth, it says, it instructs us in righteousness, in the ways of godliness. His truth prepares and equips his followers for every good work. Whatever God has called you to, his purpose for your life, his purpose, part of his purpose always involves other people. Always. Always. And part of his purpose always has it worked in somehow, somewhere, some way to give into other people's lives, to sow into other people's lives, to invest into other people's lives. Spiritual things, godly things, kingdom things, biblical things, things of God. For every good work, his word prepares us. The message version says it puts our life together. The truth of God puts our life together and shapes us up for what God has in store for us. If you ever want to step into the next thing God has, then you've got to be willing to let God's word go to work in you. Because it shapes us. And it puts us together. If you want your life to be held together, it's His Word. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus laid all this this entire sermon out and He said at the end, Hey, those of you who will listen and receive what I have said, my Word in your life, that though the storms come, though the winds blow, your life will not fall apart because your life will not be built on sand your life will be built on the rock your life will be built on the rock his word his truth Paul's saying look in these last days we don't know exactly the day or the hour when the end will come and when Christ will return a lot of views, there's a lot of things, 
all speculate on timing. But what is congruent and consistent is that his return is inevitable. Paul reminding us that last days will be difficult. We will see an increasing amount of chaos in this world. And we're maybe thinking, man, how can it get any more chaotic? People crazy. Without Christ, crazy. And what you and I have to remember as followers of Jesus is that one area of life we got to make sure we pay attention to is that we don't stray from the truth. Because Paul told Timothy in his first letter, I mentioned it, many will stray away from true faith. And they will fall for teachings that are not biblical. Friends, I think we've seen some of that already in our day and time. People falling away from true faith. As believers, we need to make sure we can hang our hat and that we are hanging our hat on his truth remaining faithful to the truth it will empower us to be able to walk this road leading to eternal life that you and I will not be deceived we will not fall for the latest trend or the latest thing that sounds good morning that I rise to the night when I lay my head down. The meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be well pleasing to the Lord. That I do all I can to live as faithfully as I can before the Lord and to inspire and model and encourage and pray for those who are in my care to also do the same. The friends, we don't have to live afraid. I know the times of life are uncertain. And I'm tempted from time to time, believe me, I'm tempted from, tempted from time to time to wonder. Is there, do I, do I have enough, do I have what it takes to stick it out in the midst of uncertainty? Friend, the only thing that's going to hold you, hold your feet to the ground not be blown away and carried away by every wind of doctrine that may come and go is this right here is this right here is this right here I'm not saying you gotta know it all I don't know it all you don't have to have a degree in it you don't have to be able to answer every question that's asked to you doesn't mean we shouldn't study it doesn't mean we shouldn't read it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't put our face in it. What it does mean is we need to let it get in our heart. You need to let it get in your heart because when you find yourself in a tough time, in a challenging situation, in a place of life where you feel like you're at a crossroads, generally the first thing that comes to mind is something out of this book right here. And you may not be able to quote it chapter, verse, by book, by writer. Might not know who it was written for. Might not know who wrote it at the time. 
But man, somewhere down in your heart, you've got this thing hidden. You've got this thing hidden. Psalm 119, I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That I might not sin against God. I don't go around talking like these and thou's. It's just sometimes how it comes out because that was way on back in the day. Some of that thee and thou stuff still likes to show up. So does some of my crazy self. But you know what puts my crazy self to, at ease? This. This. I got to know that at the end of the day, I'm not trying to stretch this out just because I don't have anything else to say. I just want to make sure at the end of the day, man, my life is making a difference in somebody else's life. That God's word is alive in Jeremy Smith. That someday, somehow, wherever he goes, wherever he walks, he leaves a trail that's marked by holiness and not worldliness. That's marked by godliness and not paganness. That's marked by righteousness and not evil. That's marked by truth and not error. Somewhere, someway, in the heart of my heart and the people I love and the people I serve, and the people I care for can point back and say without a shadow of a doubt that dude lived for Jesus because he's got the word of God oozing out of him following him trailing him pattering after him he wasn't perfect he didn't have everything together he couldn't dot all his I's cross all his T's can't even read his handwriting half the time but there's something to be said about that guy he loved Jesus and he and he did everything he could to get somebody else to love Jesus in a greater way somebody else to love the Lord in a greater way somebody else to be strong for the Lord somebody else to be bold somebody else to be brave somebody else to be courageous, somebody else who wasn't dumb, but somebody who loved the Lord, who loved God, and would do anything he could, and I don't know what else to do, but love you anymore, you know what I'm saying, let's stand, let's believe, let's make sure our life is not built on sand, let's make sure our life is not built on falsehood, let's make sure our life is not built on anything but the word of God, who will love you, who will guide you, who will lead you, who will light you, who will change you, who will help you, who will put your insane brain back into sanity, who will cause your heart that's afraid to be at peace, who will cause you to have faith and to believe God for the waywardness in your life, for God to bring you back around and cause your feet to be sure and steadfast and steady and strong, and I can keep going, but let